turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Our text this morning is the second half of this chapter. Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. If you would please give attention to the reading of the living Word of the only true and living God. The Word of the Lord is inerrant. It is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is authoritative. It is authoritative over our lives. And it is also sufficient. It is sufficient for all of our lives and godliness. Acts, chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of his brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Cancari, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And when they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, and he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's ask His blessing upon it in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before You this morning with a great need to understand Your Word. Lord, we need Your Word in our lives. We need Your Word that we might be better spouses, better parents, better children. We need Your Word, O Lord, that we might be more like Jesus. And Lord, we understand that it is only by Your grace, only by the power of Your Spirit that we can even understand Your Word. And so we call upon You now this morning, Lord, that You would cause Your Word to take deep root in our hearts. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Do you want to serve in the kingdom of God? Is your desire to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? To work on His behalf? To see Him in your life? To see Him working not only in you, but around you? But perhaps you don't quite see your place in the kingdom. Maybe you haven't found yet exactly what the Lord has called you to do. Maybe you even have some self-doubts about how the Lord can use you. You doubt your skills. You doubt your holiness. You doubt your abilities. This is easy to do as we look around and we see others serving in the kingdom. And it was true in Bible times too. Because you see, the book of Acts is very focused. It is very focused upon a great servant of the Lord, the Apostle Paul. But Paul is not the only servant that the Lord uses. Paul is not the only person that the Lord uses to build up His kingdom. The Lord uses all sorts of people from all sorts of places, young and old, men and women. But there is a common denominator in this. In all of these things, it is the Lord's work that is at hand. It is the Lord's equipping that brings about success. And that's what we're going to see this morning at the end of Acts chapter 18. We're going to see the Apostle Paul, but we're also going to see some other servants come on the scene. Servants who are used mightily, if perhaps not as publicly, or as often as Paul. But again, there is something in common here. What is in common is the Lord being at work. And so I'd like us to look here at three things. Three common denominators that bring about the work of the Lord's ministry. First is a focus on the Lord. The ministry of the Lord, the servants of the Lord, begin with a focus on the Lord. And then secondly, they are equipped for this work by being gifted by the Lord. They are not only focused on the Lord and His work, but they are gifted by the Lord for their service. And then lastly, we will see that true service really comes about through a spirit of humility. That we not only must be focused on the Lord and gifted by the Lord, but we must also be humbled by the Lord. A focus, a gifting, and a humility. Let's begin then by looking at verse 18 and seeing a focus on the Lord, especially here in the Apostle Paul. Paul begins by being focused on the Lord, by focusing on God's plan. This is something that should give us great comfort because it is much easier to focus on something very concrete. I think especially of the men here among us. Men tend to focus on getting things done, don't we? Sometimes to the annoyance of our wives as they want to talk about things and talk some more about things, talk a little more about things, And we're with our hands on the stopwatch saying, when can I get to work? I think I can solve every one of your problems and still make the football game. You see, this is something that causes us to rivet our attention, 
something that is practical, something that we can do. And Paul begins there focusing on the Lord's plan. Now, he has just completed an extended ministry in Corinth. He's been in Corinth somewhere between 18 and 24 months. He has enjoyed a season of refreshing unlike any other. Can you imagine? Paul has probably spent more time in Corinth than in all of the other places he went on his missionary journeys combined. It's also the only town where really he has not been run out on a rail. He hasn't been attacked. He hasn't been abused. Now, can you imagine how comfortable Paul would be here? How he would think and plan about all the things that were to come. But the Lord has other work for him. And so... Sensitive to the Lord's working and the Lord's plan, Paul decides that now is the time that he must take leave of the brothers. He must go back to Syria. He must go to see and encourage the church in Jerusalem. He must get to the places that he didn't have opportunity to get to. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 15, Paul was very excited and he said to Barnabas, we need to go and strengthen the churches and the brothers in We need to go out into what is now Turkey and go to all of these places and encourage them. And you remember they tried to go one way and the Holy Spirit stopped them. They tried to go another way and the Holy Spirit stopped them, hemming them into this work in Greece. And so now Paul moves on to Ephesus. And he begins to do what he always does. He goes into the synagogue and begins to teach the Jews Teach them that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is also a great sensitivity to God's plan. Because, you see, it would have been very easy for Paul to say, you know, the Jews in Corinth wouldn't listen to me at all. I'm not going to any more synagogues ever. I've had it with the synagogues. I've had it with the Jews. I've had it with the criticism. I don't need it anymore. But instead... Paul is obedient to the commission that the Lord gives to him to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so he goes into Ephesus and he begins to work in the synagogue again, following the plan of the Lord. But focusing on the Lord is not merely focusing on his plan. Because you see, if we do that, then we can sometimes get confused and substitute our plan for the Lord's. We're so certain that what we think is going to happen is what God wants to happen. You see, focusing on the Lord is not just focusing on what needs to get done, but focusing on the authority that God has. God has authority over everyone, especially over every believer. We are under His authority. We are His to do with what He wills. And Paul understands this. And so it's very interesting that as Paul is in Ephesus and he begins to have great success, the Jews actually say, please stay around longer and tell us about this Jesus. Can you imagine that? Every place Paul has gone, he's fought opposition from the Jews. He's had believers amongst Greeks. He's had individual believers amongst the Jews. But he's never really had a synagogue say, please, teach us some more. We might think this is an obvious sign from God that he should settle into Ephesus and be there. But Paul says something, I think, in between the lines here, 
that we know well from our Lord Jesus Christ. As much as Paul might want success, as much as Paul might desire to see his will be done and to see the glories that would come from teaching Jesus Christ, Paul says, not my will, Lord, but yours. You see, Paul is only stopping over in Ephesus. The Lord's will for him is not now that he stay there. The Lord's will is that he would go to Jerusalem and go and strengthen the churches. And we understand this from a little sideline that Luke tells us. Luke says in verse 18, At Kenkaria, this is the funny named port of Corinth on the eastern side, at this place Paul went and visited the barber. Did you ever think that visiting a barber could change the history of the world, could change the mission of the church? Because you see, Paul didn't just go to the barber to get his hair cut. Luke tells us he got his hair cut for a reason and a purpose because he was under a vow. Now let me just take a moment and and flesh this out for you. If you have opportunity this afternoon, I would encourage you to read Numbers chapter 6. It talks about this kind of vow. It's called a Nazarite vow. Not like Jesus was a Nazarene, but like Samson. And so, Paul has this vow that he has taken, and at the conclusion of this vow, you shaved your head. During the vow, you didn't cut your hair at all. But at the conclusion of it, you shaved your head completely. And Paul does this. And so, perhaps you, like Me, and like many commentators, wonder, well, what in the world's going on here? Why is Luke giving us this information? And I think it's because you take this kind of a vow to give thanks to the Lord for the way He is working in your life. It's it's kind of a parallel to fasting. It's a way to focus your attention on the Lord. And so, I think this goes back to earlier in chapter... 18, verse 10, where the Lord says to Paul, no one will harm you or hurt you. And Paul, I think, at that point, takes this vow to thank the Lord, to put his focus on the Lord. And as a part of this vow, Paul must now go to Jerusalem. That's what you did at the conclusion of this vow. You shaved your head, you went to Jerusalem, and you offered it up as a sacrifice. The Lord is using this work to get Paul to a different place. Vows are serious things. They are good things. They cause us to remember what the Lord has done. They cause us to be steadfast in our commitments. Some of you have taken vows to a spouse, to a husband, or to a wife. And you know how serious those vows are. Breaking those vows destroys all sorts of things. People relationships, children, finances, reputations. A vow is a very serious thing. Many of you young people have already taken a serious vow. The most serious vow that you will take other than the vow of marriage. It's the vow of membership in a church. Standing up and saying, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I will stand by Jesus. 
I vow on my honor before God. You see, God is using this vow to show Paul his authority over his life, to show Paul that he is not his own. It's something that Paul will say later in his letters. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And so Paul begins now to hasten on to Jerusalem. The language even is a quick kind of language. The verbs are short. They're participles. Paul did this and he did this and he went here and he went down and he went over. You get the idea that Paul can't get to Jerusalem quick enough. You see, Paul is looking now to God's timing. Later on, he will get a chance to minister in Ephesus. But now he must obey the Lord. He must submit to God's will. Maybe this is something that's new to you this morning. You don't think you have to submit to an authority. Maybe you have been kicking against authority. Maybe you have had bad authority over you. Tyrannical authority. Authority without goodness and grace. But you see... The only way to survive in life, literally the only way to survive and have eternal life, is to submit to authority. That's what believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is all about. It's about saying, what God says about me is right, not what I say. I'm a sinner. What God says about Jesus is right, not what I had thought, that Jesus is the Son of God. What God says about eternal life is right, not what I thought or what I wanted. You see, in order to live, we must, like Paul, submit to authority. Well, this is, this is what happens when we focus upon the Lord. An open door is provided to Paul, and he goes on to the places that he wanted to be at before. He actually gets what he wanted just Not the way he wanted it. Not in his timing. Do you see that? Look here at verse 23. After he spent some time in Caesarea, Jerusalem, and Antioch, he departed and went to the very places he was trying to go to in Acts chapter 15. Look at that later. Look and see what Paul wants to do in 15 verse 36. It's exactly what God tells him to do here, but it's in God's timing. Well, Paul is focused upon the Lord. But we are then introduced to a new character, a new figure, here in verse 24. Paul goes off the scene, and we're introduced to a Jew named Apollos. Once again here, Luke uses a familiar name. You remember that he calls Prisca, Priscilla. Here, this man's name would be Apollonius. He calls him Apollos. He's using terms of endearment. We cannot get past the fact that these people are dear to Luke. He's not just telling a story. He's telling a story that's dear to him. And so Apollos comes on the scene, and Apollos is a mighty and gifted man. We see first that he is gifted to learn. He has an ability from the Lord to learn. He is a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus. He is an eloquent man who is competent in the Scriptures. So who is this Apollos? Well, first we know he is from Alexandria. What does that mean? It means that even though Apollos is a Jew, he is the most cosmopolitan of cosmopolitan people. 
He is the poster boy for diversity in the church. Because Alexandria was perhaps the most diverse town in all of the Roman Empire. If you thought Corinth was diverse, go visit Alexandria. If Corinth was the Las Vegas of the ancient world, Alexandria is the New York City. It is bigger than Corinth, maybe double the size. It's probably the second largest city in all of the empire after Rome. It has Egyptians and Greeks and Romans and Spaniards and Syrians and Jews. And they have been living here for centuries. It has been a cosmopolitan city for centuries. It's not really an Egyptian city. You see, when we think of Egypt, we think of the pyramids, don't we? And Pharaoh and King Tut, and all of these things. But Alexandria is named Alexandria for a reason. Alexander the Great came through with his Greek army, conquered it, and renamed it. It was a very diverse city. It was also a city that was steeped in the Scriptures. You may have heard of the Septuagint. It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was written in Alexandria. The scriptures had been in Alexandria for centuries, seven, eight hundred years. It was a place that was diverse. It was a place that had the scriptures, and it was a place of great learning. Perhaps the most tragic event in all of the ancient world was the burning of the library in Alexandria. It was the greatest library known to man. All of the great works, all of the philosophers, all of the writers, all of the scriptures of of the Jews, the writings of all of the false gods were all contained in this massive library. It was a place of learning. It was Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Brown rolled up into one. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that Apollos is a man of high culture. Paul was learned. Paul was educated. But we've already seen Paul was a little bit rough around the edges, right? He could lose his temper. He could be frustrated. He could be annoyed in Athens. Not Apollos. Apollos was a true gentleman. We might imagine Apollos being the kind of guy in the 1920s, if you could put this in your mind, the great Gatsby. And I want you to picture Apollos being a man who's impeccably dressed, whose speech is gracious and perfect. He's probably even got a top hat and a cane, or the equivalent thereof. He is a man about town who you just want to be around and learn from. He's so wise. He knows so much. He says so many good things, and he's helpful. This is the kind of man that Apollos was. He was gifted by God in this way. Gifted in where he was born, gifted in what he learned. You see, he was also a learned man. He was different from both Paul and all of the other apostles. He was cultured. and He was eloquent. Paul even tells us in a roundabout way in 1 Corinthians that he's not as good of a speaker as Apollos. He says to the Corinthians, if you're looking for good words and, and good rhetoric and polished speech, don't look at me. I know what I'm doing, but I'm a little rough around the edges. That doesn't mean that it's bad for Apollos to be a good speaker. 
It's used by the Lord. There's no reason not to want to be eloquent. There is no virtue in being unable to talk. We should be practicing the way that we speak to others. Not only our turns of phrase, but the way in which we can speak the Scriptures and speak Jesus to others, finding opportunities. You see, God makes us who we are for His purposes. And for Apollos, who he was was certainly suited to the Lord. Because Apollos also knew a great deal. Do you see what Luke tells us? He was competent in the Scriptures. Now, this word is a, is a very good translation of the Greek word, but it's, it doesn't give you all of the picture. Because competent means different things to different people. Competent can also, even at times, be a negative, can't it? It almost is adequate. Well, he's competent. Not very good, but he's, he's competent. But you see, that's not how it's being used here. How it's being used here is that Apollos is, is competent. He is diligent. He is skillful. He knows what he's doing. He's very careful not to make mistakes. He wants to teach the Word of God faithfully. He's very concerned about that, and he makes great efforts. Is that your attitude about the Word of God? Are you flippant with the Word of God? Do you think, well, you know, we can't really figure that out anyway? It's not really important to know all of the details in the Bible. Or are you driven by the Lord to understand and to know more and more who Jesus Christ is? More and more who the Lord is? More and more how the Bible speaks to you? You see, Apollos was competent. He knew the Scriptures. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He was mighty and powerful. Now, how did Apollos get to be this way? Perhaps you might think, well, he's at this place where there's a great library, and he's obviously gifted by God, so in order to understand the Bible... It must just be a matter of you have to have that kind of skill and you sit in a room and then you learn everything. And if we think that way, then we think, well, I don't have that kind of skill. I don't have all those books. I guess I can't learn everything. But you see, Luke tells us a bit about this eloquent, competent, learned man. He says he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And the word here for instructed is the same word that we get catechism from. Apollos had been catechized in the way of the Lord. Apollos, this mighty, eloquent man about town with a library in front of him, learned by sitting at the feet of others. He learned the same way, kids, that you learn in Sunday school. Learning verses, memorizing, answering questions, asking questions. This mighty man of God learned by being instructed, just like being in school. And after the Lord had gifted him in this way to learn, the Lord made clear that he also gifted Apollos to teach. 
You see, we don't learn just for our own edification. We learn that we might spread the gospel of the kingdom to others. We know what Jesus has done that we might tell the great deeds of the Lord. And so Apollos learns and then he goes out to speak. And he spoke accurately the things of the Lord. Now what does that mean? It means he was careful and precise. He was truthful. He was conformed to the standard. He made sure that what he said was in accordance with the Word of God. But also, he was centered on Jesus. Do you see that? He was instructed in the way of the Lord, and because of that, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning religion. The things concerning how to live a wonderful life. The things concerning the Bible? No. None of those. He spoke accurately the things concerning Jesus. He was centered on the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His teaching. And this is why the Lord had gifted Him. To spread the good news of the Gospel, to spread the news of what His Son had done, to spread the news of how the Kingdom of God was advancing. Apollos was gifted and accurate. But he was not a dry lecturer either. Do you see that in the text? And he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he did it in a certain way. He did it being fervent in the Spirit. You see, Apollos was not afraid to be emotional. Apollos was actually, this is one of the examples where one of our modern sayings fits perfectly a biblical idea. The word here for fervently means Apollos was on fire for the Lord. Apollos was, there's an image here of boiling like a pot. Have you ever put too much water in a pot and then put it on to boil? And you see it bubble up and then it starts to hiss and water droplets shoot out and dance on the stove. And if you aren't careful, it does what? It bubbles right over. The pot can't contain it. That was how the Holy Spirit had a hold of Apollos. He couldn't contain himself when he talked about Jesus. He was bubbling over. He was on fire for the Lord. This is what the Lord wants for you. And for me. I know this because Paul commands it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, he tells us to not be slothful in zeal. He says basically, don't be lazy, but be fervent in the Spirit. Be on fire for the Spirit. Be on fire for Jesus. Apollos was learned and accurate, but he was also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there is a great importance to both of these things in our teaching, whether we're teaching our children or our friends or Sunday school classes or standing in a pulpit. We must be accurate, but we must also remember that it is only by the power of the Spirit that the accuracy of those words will have any effect. This is who Apollos was, gifted by the Lord. Well, we've seen... Paul being focused on the Lord. And Apollos being gifted by the Lord. 
But now we're going to look at something that is true of them both and also this wonderful other couple, Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to see them being humbled by the Lord. And the first thing that we see is that we grow in humility. The Christian life is about growing in humility. We've talked a bit about Apollos and all of these gifts that he has, but you know, there are gaps in Apollos' theology. Have you ever felt like that? You're just finally starting to get to understand baptism, and then someone asks you questions about eschatology. Oh. You're just starting to understand that, and then they want to know about church government. And then they want to know about the Apocrypha. And then they start to ask you questions about Mount Sinai and all of these regulations that come down on it. And then they ask you, who's Melchizedek? And why doesn't he have a father and a mother? And how is he like Jesus? It can be dizzying, can't it? And we think, well, we don't have it all together. We must, I guess what we need to do is go sit in a room and study and study and study and maybe go to seminary and study and study and study and maybe do postgraduate study and study. Then maybe we'll be fit to teach an eight-year-old Sunday school class. It can feel like that, doesn't it? But you see, here I think Luke is intentionally telling you, look at Apollos. He had access to a bigger library than you do. Well, maybe not with the Internet now. But he had all kinds of others around him. He was cultured. He was learned. He was competent. He was effective. He was equipped by the Spirit. And you know what? He wasn't perfect in his theology. And you know what? God used him powerfully, mightily, not just a little bit, not just to talk to some people on the side. No, God used him powerfully, so powerfully that he got the attention of veterans like Priscilla and Aquila. He got their attention, even though he only knew about the baptism of John. Now, if you're wondering what this means, the club forms over here. Because Almost no commentator understands what it means because Luke doesn't give us enough information. And I don't think it's designed to give us information because we're not designed here to fix Apollos. God doesn't want us looking here and saying, well, you know, if Apollos had only understood Ezekiel chapter 34, then he would... No. Luke wants us to stand back and see Apollos and see ourselves in him. And so... What Luke wants us to see is that Apollos was not unorthodox. He wasn't teaching lies. He wasn't teaching that Paul didn't understand the works of the law. He wasn't teaching that you needed to be covenantally faithful in order to be saved. He just didn't have all the picture yet. He hadn't finished his studies. He's still on the road like every one of you and me. We're all on the road learning. And so, there is no reason to believe that Apollos is not a true believer. We don't have any record of him being baptized after this. We do have a record of him going out and preaching and teaching Jesus. So we have every reason to believe that Apollos was a learned, on-fire believer who just needed to learn some more about the Bible. Is that a comfort to you? It is to me to know that God humbles us. That we don't need to know everything. That we don't need to know every way to explain things. 
that we can simply sit at the feet of our Lord and learn and still be mightily effective for the kingdom. He didn't, it wasn't only that he didn't know it all, but there's something else that shows the Lord is at work in Apollos' life. He's willing to learn. Do you know that the most mature Christians are those who are willing to be taught? Being unwilling to be taught, thinking you know it all, that is a sign of immaturity. And so, Apollos here is willing to be taught, especially from those who are knowledgeable. Priscilla and Aquila, they're, perhaps they're sitting in the synagogue, and, and they see his potential. You can almost imagine, maybe you do this when you're at a conference with your spouse, or, or in a Sunday school class, or maybe even in worship. You look at each other, and you have these knowing glances, or maybe you a little elbow, and I really like the way he said that. But you know, he, he, could, have, he could have done this too. I wonder if he knows about that. And they have this conversation, and you can almost imagine them saying, what can we do to help this young man? And in my mind's eye, perhaps partially because Priscilla is listed first, I think Priscilla takes the initiative. I think she might say to her husband, let's have him over for dinner. Get him out of the synagogue, where it won't be embarrassing, where we can ask him some questions and see if he's teachable and see if we can help him so that he can be even more effective. Do you see others' potential? You see, Priscilla and Aquila did. They weren't too proud to teach others privately. If you see the potential in others, whether it's our young people, or whether it's in our older people, whether it's in those who are married or single, do you take the time and effort to build them up? You see, this is what... We're all about here. This is why we do things like Sunday school. Why we do things like vacation Bible school. We do it to build others up. And as a result, Apollos becomes more accurate in what he teaches. It's the same word except for stepped up a notch. They don't change who he is. They don't make him a clone of themselves. He just becomes more accurate. And we see this is the way in which Not only are we humbled, not only do we grow in humility, but we can serve in humility. We see this in Priscilla and Aquila. They have a strong marriage. They have moved all over the place, from Rome to Corinth to Ephesus. They're going to go back to Corinth. They're going to come back to Ephesus later. They have a strong marriage. There are no undertones. There's no worries. There's no power plays. They serve the Lord to their utmost. And because of that, we see Apollos able to serve in humility. He's a part of the bigger picture. It might have been very easy for Apollos to become self-centered. I'm going to learn everything I want to learn. And I'm going to know all that I need to know. But instead, he branches out. Do you see why? The Ephesians encourage him. They send a letter over to The church is in Achaia, the church in Corinth, and and in towns around there. And they say, you need to hear this man. So they send him out. And we see that Apollos becomes one who is exceedingly valuable to Paul. Paul can say, I planted, but Apollos watered. Can you think of a better compliment? 
You see, Apollos is humbled, and through that, his service for the kingdom is mighty. His power is harnessed. God sends him out, and with a mighty power, look at verse 28, he powerfully refutes the Jews. He refutes the opposition. And he also encourages the brethren. He not only powerfully refutes, but he publicly shows from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. This is the way that the Lord works through us. Do you want to serve the Lord in the kingdom of God? Do you wonder if you have the ability to serve the Lord? Perhaps Apollos wondered, especially when he needed to have things explained to him. Perhaps Priscilla and Aquila wondered every time they were bumped from one town to the next. You see, the Lord is in charge of His kingdom. And from that we can take great comfort. All we need to do is remain focused on the Lord. Realize that our gifts come from the Lord. And if we are willing to be humbled by the Lord, He will use us to His glory because it is all about the Lord Jesus. Not about Apollos, not about Priscilla, not about Aquila, not about you or me. This chapter teaches us that it is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you as a people who need to learn from your word. We ask, Lord, that you would take this word that you have written by your servant Luke and that you would bless us by it, that we might be lifted up, that we might be encouraged, that we might know more who you are, what you require of us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now hear the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forever. Amen.